All right, you guys, uh, go right to your, your bulletin. I want to um, work through Romans 8 with you this morning. So my assumption is that some of you are very familiar with the Bible, and you're very familiar with this passage. My assumption is that others of you are not familiar with the Bible. So it was, as it was wonderfully read by our lector this morning, if you're not familiar with it at all, it was kind of like this. Wah, 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 ba, 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 law, flesh, wah, ba, 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 ba. And you really had no idea what was going on. You kind of thought he'll preach on something else, and it won't really matter. But we're going to work on it. And you're going to have to work on it some because there are some, some intricate concepts here that are really important to understanding the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to, you know, you're used to working on stuff. You got Father Aaron preaching. So we're going to do some Bible work. Whether you're new to the Bible or not, you can do Bible work. I want to start before we get into the text with a story. And it was an experience that I had a few years ago. And I was in what might be called a world city. It's one of the beautiful cities in the world. I ended up in a unique situation where I was at the home of people of very high ranking uh, within that city and high ranking um, sort of within the American government. And they were sort of on loan for the American government to this city. It was a beautiful evening. They were living in a home designed by a world famous architect. We were out on a veranda and we were overseeing just a beautiful part of the city. It was a remarkable evening, I, I won't forget. And these people, this, this couple, they were living a life of what I would call becoming better. I mean, they just had a better life. They had an amazing life. They were seeking the betterment of others. They cared about others. Their kids were going to the better schools. They had a prestigious government position. They were both confident, but not arrogant. They were better people in almost any way you could conceive of. And I sat there that night, and by their own admission, they were clearly not followers of Jesus. They were not participating with intent in the kingdom of God. And after that night and during that night, if I were not a serious Christian, I would have seen them and what I experienced that night as the absolute goal of life. I would have walked away from that evening and said, okay, because I'm kind of a go-after-it person myself, I would have said, how do you get to that life? I want that life. Not all the details. I want the principles of that life. I want to experience that life. I'm going to live in a rolled architect's house with a particular architecture that I really like as well. I want that. Even though I am a serious Christian. You know what, you know what I did? I did that. Amen? Right? All right, so I still went home, and for the first hour, I thought, well, wow, my life isn't quite like that life. I would like that life. How do I get that life? Even this summer, I had interactions with a few other people, different people, who were living what I would call better lives. They just are doing life so well. And you want to dislike them for it, except they're so likable in their better lives. So, okay, big question. What is the goal of life? Right? I mean, is it to have a better life? Some of you, I'm assuming, are serious Christians. Some of you are new Christians. Some of you not be Christians yet. I think that a question affects all of us. What's the goal of life? Is it to have a better life? Is it to become better and better? The robust answer, one of the key thinkers and leaders of the Scriptures, the Apostle Paul, the robust answer, which he spoke specifically to this matter, is no is absolutely not, is do not be deceived, 
into a better life. Life, Paul will argue in Romans chapter 8 that we just had read, is not about becoming better. Life is about being full of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to set up a contrast between the two because we, he knows the human heart and how easily we're deceived by beautiful evenings in world cities on verandas like I was. Life is not about becoming better, Paul's going to say. Life is about becoming or being full of the Holy Spirit, and it's a contrast. So if you study this text together, we have the power of better, verses 1 to 8. As you break down the passage that was just read, if you're a note taker, the power of better, verses 1 to 8, the power of the Holy Spirit, verses 9 to 13. Okay, clarification already. This is the fundamental ministry of the Holy Spirit. So many of us think about the Holy Spirit. If you have background in Christianity, you may be thinking of the gifts of the Spirit. Perhaps you've read about the prophetic ministry of the Holy Spirit or supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit. All that is a part of the Holy Spirit, but that is not the fundamental ministry of the Holy Spirit. His fundamental ministry is this, filling us, empowering us. This is important. Freeing us. Freeing us from the power of better. Power of better, verses one to eight. We have to understand the law first. So skip verse one because verse one and verse eight interact with each other. So if you're taking notes, you can kind of star or note verse one and verse eight because they actually interact with each other even though they're not successive. And for those of us that are used to reading um, American uh, or Western texts, we think about things successively. You get ideas successively. That's not how you get ideas from Paul. He's not Western. So Paul's thinking differently. Okay, so verses one to eight, we're going to go back to later. So instead, I want to look at verses two to five. The law of the Spirit, already that phrase is somewhat nonsensical, I know. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, the contrast. The law of sin and death the law of the Spirit. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, another hard phrase, weakened by the flesh. What does flesh mean? We'll get into that. Could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. All right, that's enough right there. Let's understand the law. Okay, what, we, what we need to be really clear about is that you had a massive understanding of the law in the Hebraic, the Hebrew way of thinking, the Jewish way of thinking. Paul is a Jewish rabbi who has come to believe that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah waited for. So he has a background in the law. He's an expert in the law. And what he wants to be clear about is the law is in itself not sin. The law is in itself not wrong. And he talks about there's a law of the spirit and the law of the flesh. So the contrast is not between the law and the spirit. The contrast is between the flesh and the spirit, okay? Now, the law cannot save you. That's a problem if you think the law can save you. Then you've got a problem with the law. As long as you understand that the law cannot save you, and the law never saved you. The law never saved you in the Hebraic thinking. The law never saved you in the Old Testament, so to speak, if you know your Old Testament. That's not true. God always saved you. God saves you, not the law. The law cannot save. Only the cross can save. And he actually has a reference to the cross in verse 3. He sent his own son, Jesus, Messiah, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He was not sinful. He was not and did not sin. 
but it came in likeness. And this, this refers to the cross. The cross is that which saves you. So we're not saved by the law, but we are saved for the law, for a life of freedom in the law. Oh, wow, that's a paradox. Welcome to Christianity. Okay? That's really important. Christianity puts seemingly disparate things together, and you find that in that, it's not nonsensical or illogical. It actually finds profound harmony. So law and freedom go together beautifully in Christianity. Order and spontaneity in the life and the ministry of the Holy Spirit go together beautifully. You can even see that in just a very simple, like, we're all dressed up in, you know, 16th century, you know, Renaissance things that people wore all the time. And we've got order. We have a liturgy and Anglicanism. We, we have order and we have symbol and we have these things that are ritual. And yet we find that it actually creates incredible place for spontaneity. I think we'll have some of that even in a few minutes. They ministry of the Holy Spirit. They go together. So now let's understand the flesh. We've got to understand the law, not, not, not the flesh. Okay, now we go to verses 1 and 8. What Paul's doing is he'll often put some of his most important points in the beginning and the end of something. It's called a chiasm. That's not so important. What's important is that you remember that in his thinking, he'll kind, of, he'll kind of move things to the middle. So he kind of does this. Rather than going like this, like Western writers do, he goes like this. And so he actually has verses 1 and 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom from guilt. There's freedom from shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see how those two verses are related? So he's setting up a really clear contrast in verses 1 to 8. What is the flesh? I mean, if it's just the body, then I'm confused because I preached a whole sermon series called Your Body Matters. I didn't call the sermon series Your Flesh Matters. I mean, I could have. The sinful nature matters. But what's the difference? You have the body, the physical body, which matters very deeply. God fully became human. He took on a body. He hollowed the body. The body matters deeply. But the flesh in this context is not to do with the body. It's to do with the sinful nature. Uh, Martin Luther, great 16th century thinker, put it this way. The sinful nature or the flesh is the self curved in on itself. You ever feel that? I'm not even asking if you ever think it. I'm asking, do you ever feel it? Do you ever feel like yourself is curved in on yourself? And so much of our addictive patterns comes in our self, curved in on ourself. That the addictive cycle, the addictive torment is that it's self Curved in on self, curved in on self, curved in on self. The inability to stop thinking or obsessing about a person or an event or something that's never happened that you keep wishing would happen. You're obsessing on whatever, how it hasn't happened in your life. You're obsessing on the better that your life could be. You're obsessed with envy on the person who you think is living the better life that you're not living. It's the self curved in on the self. That's the sinful nature. That's the flesh. And it's a control reality. Flesh has it with controlled by the sinful nature. Now, there are many ways to understand the sinful nature. There's a myriad of ways the Bible talks about. One way to understand it is the power of better. And when the power of better, and that's the one I'm going to apply today, I'm not trying to say it's comprehensive, but when the power of better takes over our thinking, our flesh is highly enacted. And for many of us, particularly that operate in an affluent country like the United States, 
where the power of better seems attainable, or at least the advertising joggernaut that has massive influence over us is convincing us, often on a minute-by-minute basis, if you're, particularly if you're connected to your screen, on a minute-by-minute basis, it is convincing us that the power of better is attainable. You have billions of dollars being invested through the American film industry and the American advertising joggernaut to convince you that the power of better can be your power. And it's doing so subtly and carefully. The power of better is not dancing around with you know, horns and smoke and a little pitchfork. No, the power of better looks almost like you, but not quite. You're not quite there, right? The power of better's got your job only more pay, better boss, better job, almost yours. Oh, the power of better is demonic. I just name it as demonic. It feeds the control of the sinful natures that we're curved in on ourselves, which means what? We're not pointed towards others. When you're curved in on yourself, are you weeping with those who weep? Right? Are you just hard, disconnected? You're curved in on yourself. You're just angry. Not righteous anger for those who are truly being oppressed. No, you're just angry. You're just like generally angry. And in fact, we read about the flesh. Look at this. Verse 7. This is how we know that the, that, that the flesh and this understanding is actually demonic. The power of better is demonic. It says in verse 7, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Wow. I know that many of us have been trained to appreciate nuance, and there are really important places for nuance, very important places to apply nuance. But I cannot, in my teaching this morning, apply nuance here for you although your nuanced soul may be begging for it right now. I can't give it to you. There's no nuance here. Hostile, demonic, set against the living God. That's what the flesh is. There's no other explanation given us. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, a wonderful uh, preacher and thinker, puts it this way. He says, it's not that those who live in the flesh may not have moments of nobility. It's not that that if you are curved in on yourself, you still might not have moments where you do something that's impressive or, or wonderful. Even the couple I described to you, there was a humility in their mix that was making it all the more beguiling. This is how Keller puts it. It's almost like a rebel army that has set itself against a appointed and voted in government that's overall a good government. But the rebel army has put itself against it. So in that rebel army, there'd be maybe moments of valor when the rebel army is going against the well-appointed, democrat, you know, democratically elected government. But the fact of the matter is, those moments of valor do not change the fact that that rebel army is ultimately what? Rebellious and against what the people have said they want in a government. And that's so much like us. If you're saying, but I still have moments of nobility, even when I'm caught in the flesh, I say, yeah, right. So did Paul. He was a remarkable person before he knew Messiah Jesus. But he was in hostility, ultimately, against God. And he came to understand that and know that. So what does better look like maybe in your life if you're under the power of better, which so many of us are? This is probably the best way to understand the cliched phrase that gets used a lot because it has so much sort of import, which is perfectionism. In perfectionism, 
you have the power of better fully adopted. In perfectionism, one believes in a deceived way that one can become better and better and better. That life really is about self-improvement. So in perfectionism, better actually seems better. And it has immense power to curve us in on ourselves. Shame then, shame then operates in this way. It's when better doesn't work, right? So if you're living in a perfectionist way, and all of a sudden, because you can't always be perfect, it's exposed in some moment, often with a roommate or a spouse who's around you enough to find out that you're actually not better. When it's exposed that you're not better, you're not like, ah, it's true, I'm not better, and I'm free not to be better. No, 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 no. It's a crisis of epic proportion. When the perfectionist, when the person curved in on themselves is exposed for who they really are, for who we all really are, no, 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 this is a crisis. This is where shame comes piling in, and often behind shame becomes the wonderful chaser, anger. Right? So now I'm ashamed and I'm angry that I've been exposed, that I'm not better because I'm going to be better. And man, this can motivate entire divorces and marriages. This can motivate utter violence against other human beings. This can motivate deranged leaders in profound ways. This has incredible power. That's what better can look like. Better can look like this, an abiding critical spirit. When better bludgeons others. If you live under the power of better, then also what happens is you start looking at people and you go, they're not better. And they're around me, so that makes me not feel better. So this is not better. So I'd like you to become better. So I'm going to actually become litigiously with great analysis, if I have that kind of engine, I'm going to become the person that just keeps a list of the ways in which you're not better. I mean, I wouldn't share all those with you at one time. That would be cruel. But I'll have the list, right? I'll have the list. I'll, I'll keep it there in my Evernote. <laughs> I've been passing for 25 years, can you tell? And I have lived under the power of better a lot. But when it's helpful, I may bring out one or two of the things I've noticed about how you're falling short. But of course, if you have experienced a critical spirit from someone else, can you imagine what they live with themselves? Better looks like self-scrutiny when better bludgeons ourselves. And then you're, you're shackled. You're always disappointed in yourself. It can become so extreme that you actually have come to loathe yourself. That doesn't always happen, but in a group this size, there's probably some who loathe themselves. You keep a list, too. You want to see folks under the power of better? Watch parents. I mean, what's the goal of parenting, right? To raise better kids? No. That's demonic. Not much nuance. What's the goal of parenting? What's to raise children that love God and love one another? To raise children who are free in the power of the Holy Spirit. Am I saying that then then they're free-range children, then they're lawless? Oh, heavens forbid. No. There's order and there's structure and there's all part of parenting. But when we're parenting, what are we doing? We're raising children who can learn to love God and love others and move in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the goal of parenting. But nearly every one of us who has been called to parenting, not everyone is called to parenting. Those of us who have been called to parenting, oh, we know the power of better and how we've chosen to often parent our children. So where does this lead us? 
Look at Paul's writing. Look, look what he does. He's got us. We're a mess now, right? If we're not a mess, Paul hasn't done his job, and I haven't done my job. Because the power of better is so powerful that we're saying, ah, I want out, I want out of the power of better. It's, it's, it, is, it is shackling. And Paul says here in Romans 9, you, however, just right there, just right there, you, however, he's going to tell you that there's another way to live as a Christian. Some of you are Christians, but you live under the power of better. You, however, you all have, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Look at verse 11. Here's one of the keystone verses in this whole teaching and in all Paul's teaching. It's right here in verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection lives in you. And the power of the resurrection is better than the power of better. The power of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, that power that he shares with every baptized Christian, that any Christian can have this power. I don't care how educated you are. I don't care what your background's like. I don't care how messed up your family was. Do you understand that? Look, no one understands better the true and profound democracy of the Holy Spirit than Paul. No one is kept out of the power of the Holy Spirit. If you happen to have a disability, mental or physical, you'll probably get this better. Pray for those who can actually think they can become better. If for some reason something in your life is there and it keeps you from ever thinking you're going to be better and you thought that that was a mark against you, it's actually a mark for you. Praise the Lord, you're freed. You feel like I don't fit into the culture, I don't fit into the society, I'm always on the margin for whatever reason it has to do your ethnic background, your intellectual background, your family background, whatever it might be, do you actually know that you got a way in? It is harder for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Now, he still gets in if he'll call upon Jesus Christ's resurrection power. Anyone that calls on the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So here's a prayer I want to teach you. It's a very simple prayer. It's a six-word prayer. If you've been around me at all, you've probably heard this prayer before. And it's simply this. And I, I will place my hand on my chest. You don't have to do it, except for right now, if you would. It'd be great. You don't have to right now if it makes you awkward, but just go ahead and do it. And basically, all you're doing is you're saying, and I'll just stop. I'll do this throughout the day sometimes. The resurrected one lives in me. That's the teaching of Romans chapter 8. The resurrected one lives in me. Let's just say that together, all together. The resurrected one lives in me. You don't have to be better. Don't be better. Reject and renounce better. The Father is the resurrecting one we see in verse 11. The Son is the resurrected one, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of resurrection and power. Let me just give a picture. So 
back in Father Aaron's kind of bougie days when he lived out in the suburbs. I know, I know. It's, it's not in his bio on the website, but he did live not just in the suburbs, he lived in the western suburbs near Wheaton. Sorry to expose you, but I remember it. But he's still nice to, you know, bourgeois guys like me. So, so back in those days, we would go running. There used to be a place we would go running, and it's a beautiful meadow. It's in West Chicago, and there's a train track that runs alongside the meadow. The meadow's never been plowed, so it actually has just gorgeous wildflowers. hundred-year-old seeds are, are present. I talked to a, a, a botanist about it. It's really cool. So I love this place. And so as I was running there one day, I was thinking about the power of better. And I was thinking about the train track and the trains and then the meadow. And the difference between the power of better and the power of the Holy Spirit is the difference between a train and a toddler. Here's what I mean. The train is on the tracks. All the train can do is the tracks. All the train can do is go where the tracks go. And the train just chugs away on the tracks. Same thing all the time. Better, 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 better. It may seem it has power. It may seem it has efficiency. It may seem it can carry a whole lot of things, but all it can do is that track. So every day that train goes by that beautiful meadow and it can just look at it. And that train never thought, I'm gonna jump my tracks and go to the meadow. What would happen? It can go anywhere. What can a toddler do? What can a little three-year-old toddler do? That toddler can run in that meadow. That toddler can roll around in the meadow, the wildflowers. That toddler can pick them all up. That toddler can make a fort. That toddler can laugh as loud as they want. That toddler's got all kinds of freedom that the powerful train will never, ever have because the train is stuck on the tracks. The train is living a narrow life and a tight life and a small life. Don't anyone tell you that the power of better is expansive, that the world somehow is something that Christians do not have. That is one of the greatest deceptions of the devil. The world is narrow and it's on tracks and the world is going better, 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 better. And there's some who think they're running that train and there's some who think they're underneath that train, but they're all under the power of better. But oh, we're toddlers. We become like children to enter the kingdom of heaven, amen? And in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit reigning in your life, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, you're like a toddler and you're running the meadow. You're right in there with the flowers and the color and the beauty. And that really, really matters. So maybe you thought about the power of the Holy Spirit in... I don't know, it's kind of like the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, again, if you have a Christian background, it's kind of a charismatic thing. It's a Pentecostal thing. It's, just a, it's a thing that belongs in a certain place. And I'm not totally comfortable with that thing, which is why I've kind of cordoned it off to be something else. It's not wrong, but it's just not for me. And I can understand, I can appreciate that. And a lot of folks have had questionable experiences um, in some of those movements. So I can appreciate that. But what I'd like to clarify biblically is that's actually not the heart of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's important. The heart is this. The heart is that you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled, and Paul will say in the chapter of Ephesians, you need to be filled and filled again with the Holy Spirit so that you can live toddler, not train. You can get free from self-scrutiny and critical spirit and perfectionism. How do you get free? You, you pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm actually going to pray for you in just a minute for that. That's when you get free. You ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. The Father loves to give the power of the Holy Spirit to those who ask. We're coming into Lent, and the leadership here will lead you in and through Lent, but it might be in Lent that you realize this has so much power over me 
I'd like to go into a time, a day or two days, and Father Aaron can talk to you more about that. Leaders can talk to you more about that. I'm going to fast and pray for God to free me from the power of better. It's so ingrained in my thinking and my personality. Also, and here's probably where the best place is to start, and it's actually really simple. You can repent. Repent. And believe in the power of the resurrected Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Repent of the power of better in your life. Repent on yourself, curved in on yourself. That's where you start, of all places. So I'm going to take about two minutes now before we totally finish. And I just want to have a chance to pray for you because it's important that the Word of God is taught, right? But when Jesus was ministering, he'd also then, he'd minister it. He'd, he'd, he'd lay hands on people. He would talk to them and interact with them. So I want to just have a time where we're quiet. So I'm just going to ask you in your space, wherever you are, just to close your eyes. Uh, not because that's magical. It's not. It just helps you have a little bit of space here um, in this, you know, unique seating configuration. <laughs> okay, so... Just close your eyes and just be quiet before the Lord. Don't expect, don't have any expectation of anything that has to happen. I, I'm not worried about that. Don't try to have the better prayer time than the person next to you. Okay? You don't need to do that. You just need to be quiet. And what I'm going to pray is I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, particularly if you're feeling as I was teaching a particular need for that. I'm, I'm going to ask you to do a physical thing and just place your hands, palms up on your lap, and you're just physically saying, in alignment with your, with your heart, I would like to receive more power of the Holy Spirit. And if something did get clear to you, I'd like you to have a sense with your open palms that you're lifting something. Are you lifting perfectionism? And if you want to physically lift your hands, you can, or you don't have to. Are you lifting the sin of perfectionism? Are you lifting the shame and anger that have been revealed maybe even recently? when the fact that you're better wasn't better and it was shown and you were angry or you withdrew and just lift that to the Lord? You've had a very critical spirit. You've got that list somewhere and you want to lift that list to the Lord and get it out of your mind and off of your Evernote. You want to just get it out? Or self-scrutiny? In constant introspection, you want to lift that to the Lord? Just lift that now to the Lord. We repent of perfectionism, Father. We repent of shame that comes from perfectionism. We repent of these things. Now, it's just your arms are, are open and your hands are open. Father, I pray for those especially this morning that feel the need for the resurrection power of Jesus, who need to be renewed and revived that the resurrected one lives in them. I pray now for the power of Jesus' Holy Spirit to be poured out upon you. I pray come and fill these souls, come and fill these hearts. Spirit of God. In a sense that someone here experienced a camp experience where there was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it was so alarming to you. You felt like there was coercion and you felt manipulated, so you pulled back from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You used to understand that actually this is fundamental to being freed from your flesh. Others of you have yearned for the gifts of the Spirit. 
And it wasn't, it wasn't wrong. You just had a misdirection that you're yearning for the gifts. But the Lord wants to first take you back to the giver of the gifts and the giver of freedom. And the gifts will come. It's fine to ask for prophetic ministry. It's, it's good to ask for the gift of tongues. But none of those are as important as this. This is the gift of love. This is the greatest of these. And I pray, Lord, for any that have been seeking the gifts, and now, Lord, you just want to give them more deeply, the holy giver of the gifts, the resurrected one lives in them. I pray for the indwelling power of the resurrection. Finally, as I conclude, there are a few of you who are internally frantic. There's a crushing clinical depression that's taking even more power over you and you're frantic to be freed from it. The Lord knows that. He's not set apart from your depression. He's there, but you can't sense him. You can't feel him. You're depressed. But I pray that you would give them a word of encouragement from someone today that you are there. I pray for any frantic hearts this morning. They'll know the resurrection is more powerful than even their frantic Receive now the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.